From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Your taxes and the state's finances are controlled in part by constitutional amendments with names like Tabor and Gallagher. This election, voters will answer questions about both. I think Gallagher can work, but when it's tied in with Tabor, that's where there's a lot of problems. I just don't think that you take a hammer to all of Gallagher for certain areas. We unsnarl the fiscal issues on the ballot. Then, a return to Room 132 in Westminster. Third graders and their teacher navigate pandemic learning and pandemic recess. Well, um, it's just that since there's nothing to play out here on the field, there's like nothing to do. I want to go back to old life where just all of us go onto the playground. For a growing number of Americans, cannabis is synonymous with edible, a word that used to refer to box brownies with that distinctive skunky aftertaste is now being elevated into a culinary art. My hope is to showcase Michelin star quality African cuisine paired with premium cannabis. On the latest episode of On Something, Denver chef Harold Sims walks us through the brave new world of eating your weed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Tabor, Gallagher, taxes, fees. Voters in Colorado will decide a series of ballot measures this election focused on money and finances. And we're going to sort through them today with CPR public affairs reporter Andrew Kenny. He's been talking with both sides of these issues. Hi, Andy. Hello. Let's start with some of the simplest questions. Whether to raise or lower taxes. Tell us about Prop 116. Yeah, so in a ballot filled with some really kind of weird and varied questions, this one is really straightforward. Prop 116 would take the state income tax, which is currently about 4.63%, if you want to be exact, and it would lower it down to 4.55%. Okay, a relatively small change. What kind of effect, though, would that have overall on the state? Yeah, so for the individual, that is pretty small as tax changes go. If you make $50,000 a year, that adds up to about a $40 reduction on your taxes. That's a really small fraction of your total bill. But it adds up to about... $154 $154 million less money for the state. In total. So why why now? Why is this on the ballot, Andy? It is part of this bigger argument that's constantly playing out at the Colorado ballot box over taxes and finances. Colorado is a state where voters have to approve every single tax increase, as you probably know. Yep. And there is always, like I said, this push and this pull. Should we give government more money or should we not? And that's become especially important this year. This is one of several ballot measures having to do with state revenues because the pandemic has wrecked the economy and these are getting really important. Yeah. I mean, how is the current economic picture affecting the debate over measures like this tax cut? Again, that's Prop 116. Well, it boils down to whether you think that the government needs the money or you need the money right now. The state government just had to cut about $3 billion from its budget. That is translated to less money on school, excuse me, less spending on schools, less spending on health, less investment in pensions for state employees. Uh, And so, you know, the opponents of this tax cut say we can't afford it as a state government right now, or you're going to get into some big trouble with affording basic services. On the other hand, the conservative groups that are trying to uh, blunt state spending, they are saying we can't give anything extra to the government right now. And 
you know, actually people could probably use that extra 40 bucks from this this tax cut. In their own pockets. Uh, will voters also be asked to raise taxes this election? Uh, yes, <laughs> there's a there are competing ballot measures that would go in the opposite direction. Okay. Interestingly, progressive groups had originally wanted to put major tax reform on the agenda this year. They had a whole idea to raise rates on the highest income earners and create a new tax structure. But possibly thanks to the pandemic, they didn't actually collect enough signatures. Or because of the pandemic, depending on how you see it. Yeah, sorry. Because of the pandemic, they didn't collect enough signatures. And instead, we ended up with a much more limited proposal that would only raise taxes on tobacco products. On tobacco. Then that's Proposition EE on your ballot. That's right. This is an idea that was introduced largely by Democratic lawmakers who put it on the ballot. It would really sharply raise taxes on cigarettes. It would set a minimum price for cigarettes. You would essentially see the price of a pack of cigarettes, a double or triple over the course of several years. And it would also, for the first time, introduce taxes on vaporizer products. And eventually, this could add up to hundreds of millions of dollars a year for revenue for the state. Um, Democrats say it's not just raising the prices, raising the taxes. It's also closing this loophole where vaporizer products weren't necessarily taxed before. Um, it's got lots of support from schools, gr- school groups who say that you know that money could go toward preschool efforts, kindergarten efforts. Um, but it's opposed by the manufacturers of discount cigarettes who say that they're going to be knocked out of the market because prices oh. are going to be raised on them. They won't be able to get their competitive advantage. And it's also opposed by the Colorado M- Municipal League because they worry that it will make it harder to pass taxes on the local level if we have this big state tax. Because Prop EE is a statewide question. That's right. What are their prospects, Andy, for these tax measures? <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if... Uh, both of them or more, both of them passed because, you know, the tax cut is always tempting when you're a voter and you say, I can use 40 bucks. Um, so you're going to have this massive effort by the opponents of the tax cut trying to convince voters, yes, the government really needs that money right now. Uh, on the other hand, the tax increase we just discussed, cigarette taxes, that's one of the few things that Colorado voters actually tend to like when it comes to a tax increase. One of the, sin taxes, basically. Yeah, sin taxes, gambling, cigarettes, marijuana. Some of the only taxes they ever approve are like that. All right. Those are two of the tax measures on the November ballots. Relatively easy to grasp. There are two more complicated issues that voters will decide. Uh, why don't we dig into Amendment B, shall Indeed. we? Are you ready to talk about Gallagher? Gallagher. Like the comedian who smashes watermelons, not not no, not him, okay. and not the guys from Oasis either. Um, <laughs> let's. I'll try to make sure this doesn't get too messy. This is actually Amendment B on your ballot, and it is about the Gallagher Amendment, nothing to do with the watermelon guy from the state constitution. Uh, proponents say that they want to repeal this Gallagher Amendment, and that if we don't do it, there's going to be a disaster for a lot of local government services in the coming year. Here is Don Lombardi. He's a fire chief in Lakewood. Well, so as a fire chief here at West Metro, and really, quite frankly, as a firefighter at West Metro, um, I've lived uh, Gallagher and the effects of Gallagher. And when you separate out Gallagher by itself, actually, I think uh, Gallagher can work. Uh, but when it's tied in with Tabor, uh, that's where there's a lot of problems. And so when we have this... Um, uh, conundrum that we're in right now with the residential assessment rates uh, plummeting, it really causes uh, uh, problems, uh, especially for fire districts, uh, to be able to uh, plan 
to be able to forecast, to be able to uh, provide sustainability for the services that we provide. Okay, some ideas to unpack there. I guess we should clarify what Gallagher is yeah, about. There is a lot going on. Gallagher was passed by voters back in 1982. And the purpose of it back then was to say that we don't want residential homeowners to bear too much of the burden of paying for uh, state services through their property taxes. And it said, you know, they wouldn't pay more than half of it. Sounded fairly straightforward at the time. I mean, it's a little complicated. But when you combine it with one of Colorado's more recent laws, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, Tabor, it starts to have some kind of uh, really dramatic effects that have emerged over time. And the, the big, big picture, without diving into the mechanics of it, is that even though residential property values and development have just exploded in Colorado, yeah. especially the Front Range, Gallagher has put a break on how fast the money coming into the government from property taxes has risen. So even though we've had all this residential property value growth, we are not paying uh, a commensurate amount of taxes on that. And basically, it's it's resulted in the state collecting about $35 billion less than it potentially could have if Gallagher didn't exist. And then you combine that with Tabor, it's had this effect where it's knocked down people's property tax rates year after year, and it's made it very difficult for local governments to raise them back up. It has this disproportionate effect where uh, it's slowed down tax growth in the big cities. You know, it's kind of hurt them, but it's actually reversed tax growth in some of your rural areas and made it really, uh, really difficult to keep basic services going. In some cases, you know, fire services in those areas. So anyway, next year, Gallagher is set to once again kind of shake up that formula again. Yeah. And if it does, it would take away potentially $700 million in expected revenue that schools and counties would otherwise collect. And again, it would do that by slashing your residential property taxes. So uh, there's a lot of interplay here yes. between Gallagher and Tabor, which yes. we'll talk about in a bit. Who supports the repeal effort? Gallagher has been on the debating the, the debate stage for many years now in Colorado. We've heard many different proposals for how to fix it, how to change it. But this year, it's a surprising bipartisan coalition of lawmakers who have put it on the ballot. Mm. And and said, you know what? We give up on the negotiation. Let's just ask voters to repeal this thing altogether. And that is because of the enormous budget hole that the state has found itself in after the pandemic. Um, you know, they've basically facing this 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 kind of desperate financial situation. Said, okay, let's get rid of Gallagher. Let's see if voters will go for that. The campaign has some major money backing it. It's collected about uh, 1.6 million dollars in donations. Fairly high for a ballot initiative including a millionaire from Kent Theory, uh, one of Colorado's wealthiest people, they're arguing that this is not a tax increase, that it's basically a tax stabilization measure. You would be, by voting for this, giving up a tax cut down the road, but keeping your tax bill the same. What about the opposition to this, Andy? So the opposition campaign is called Keep Property Taxes Low, Colorado. Their argument is that First of all, you know, people could use that break on property taxes. Uh, they, they could probably use that extra money if it was cut next year. And they argue that the they, they acknowledge that there's a really heavy impact from Gallagher on rural communities. But they argue that the state should pursue smaller fixes and not a total repeal to help those communities out. Here's campaign organizer Michael Fields. I just don't think that you take a hammer to all of Gallagher 
uh, for certain areas. And I think the other thing too, is if the legislature was that concerned about these local services, they would be backfilling them uh, a lot more than they're not. And so I would love to see the legislature step up and help some of these rural communities. That is a rundown of Amendment B. Okay, Andy Kenny, let's tackle Prop 117, which has to do with something you've mentioned, Tabor. Uh, as we did with Gallagher, let's do a quick explanation of the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Okay, so Tabor is not on the ballot itself, but it informs yep. these discussions. Indeed. Tabor, passed in the 90s, basically says voters get the final authority over every tax increase in the state. So what would 117 do about Tabor? It would expand Tabor's powers, essentially. Um, what it would say is that voters also get authority over fees. Fees are kind of like taxes. They're money that you give to the government, but there's some like legal differences. And uh, basically, because voters don't approve, fee, uh, don't approve taxes very often, lawmakers have instead turned to fees to fund some major programs. So a fee might include like the 30 bucks you pay to get your driver's license renewed. But increasingly, it also includes, uh, you know, the state is charging a 1% or so fee on insurance companies' revenues that it's using to make healthcare more affordable. And another initiative on the ballot, paid family leave, would put a fee on your paycheck, which may sound a lot like a tax, but it's legally different because it's got a specific designated purpose. Anyway, this measure says voters need approval over those two. Okay. Who's for 117, the expansion it, of yeah, Tabor in this respect? Um, it is a similar conservative alliance as the other tax measures, including you know the same campaign leader. They see this, again, as a way to strengthen Tabor and stop lawmakers from working around it. And against? Uh, it is a range of more liberal interests, including a lot of education interests who say like Tabor and its requirements have already made it really hard to fund things in Colorado. And this would shut down, you know, a, another option, put even more chains on the state's ability to pay for stuff. Thanks for this rundown and unpacking all of that, Andy. <laughs> it was a bit of a marathon. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Andrew Kenny, public affairs reporter at CPR News. Ballots for the November election hit the mail on Friday. Gentlemen, help me to dispatch this melons. One, two. When we come back, an elementary school teacher faces a tough choice as she tries to create a new normal for her students. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. To all of our supporters, thank you so much for your ongoing partnership with Colorado Public Radio. You know that a free and independent press is vital to the health of our democracy. Even during challenging times, CPR is dedicated to covering stories and issues with the depth, diversity, and thoughtfulness that you have come to depend on. However you choose to support CPR in the days and months ahead, please know that you are truly appreciated. You make it possible. You're with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Pandemic learning creates all sorts of new problems for students, including what to do at recess. CPR education reporter Jenny Brandine returns to Classroom 132 in Westminster and finds a full-scale revolt and a teacher's personal quandary. It's recess near the beginning of the school year. Eight-year-old Sebastian is sitting next to me under a tree. I ask him why he doesn't go join the other kids who are running around. There's no footballs or soccer balls. Well, um, it's just that since there's nothing to play out here on the field, there's like nothing to do. 
this is a big sore spot among teacher Renee Sutton's kids. It turns out even back at school with COVID-19, things aren't back to normal. Another set of kids is on the playground. But Sebastian says his class has been relegated to the field. The girls are steamed about it, too. We never get on the playground. Yeah, because it's not fair. They're, all, they're always on the playground. Yeah, We've been here on the field for four days. Hey, Nathan, I want to get in the playground right now, but... I can't because, because we can't. Seems like we're headed for a full-scale third-grade rebellion. Here's Sebastian. It's just weird. I want to go back to old life where just all of us go onto the playground. The girls are already plotting how to solve the problem. Sutton would be proud. She's pushing hard getting kids to solve conflicts and advocate for themselves. We can rotate. Or one day yes, one day no. And one day no. Meantime, a few weeks later, Sutton has a predicament of her own. She's a little more than a month into this grand experiment of teaching in person during a global pandemic. But her daughter, who lives out of state, needs surgery. And there's no one to care for her afterwards. So then what happens? Does that, you know, put a burden on somebody else who has to now pick up the slack because I have to leave And it's just, you know, that piece is just so hard. I don't want to burden anybody else. If she had her druthers, Sutton would teach her class remotely from out of state. But that still takes a body to supervise the kids in class. The timing at the beginning of the year isn't the best either. You just established routines with the kids. You just, like, built your community. You're just getting into the groove of things. And every teacher is different how they do things. It's something Sutton will have to figure out soon. look, it is five. But some of you got lucky. Sutton starts the math lesson talking about patterns. If she has one pair of gloves, how many fingers is that? Five, the kids say. Hmm, ten, someone finally says. They take the pattern higher. But things get harder. The class is a little stumped when Sutton asks them what the word equation means. They're figuring out the total number of calories in a slice of pizza and a cup of milk. Sutton also has to focus on Paul, a virtual student on a laptop. All right, I'm going to walk so you might not see me for a bit. When she rolls the laptop around the class so Paul can see what she's doing, she tells him they're dancing. One boy starts writing four equations for the problem. Add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Sutton explains the question is asking for one equation. And when it says draw a picture to show your work... Just because it says draw a picture doesn't mean if I draw a slice of pizza and a cup of milk, that's the answer. That's not what they're looking for. Math is going to be tough this year. Word problems can hurt the brain and other parts of the body, says Kimberly. In second grade, it was just so easy. And... In third grade, it just got, like, one step harder. Yeah, and it got, like, painful, and then, like, my arms hurt, like, after But Sutton has a lot of strategies up her sleeve for math this year, and lots of words of encouragement. The class has earned a video dance break at the end of the day. Everyone is dancing and learning. It doesn't hurt to reinforce that old concept of patterns. Oh, and I forgot earlier in the day, the kids scored another victory. Today, room 132 was on the playground. The class took their case to Sutton. And when they're on the field, they can have a ball now. Meanwhile, Sutton has some thinking to do, whether to take that leave to care for her daughter. 
Room 132 has just finished going over homework, germination in avocado and chestnut seeds. Then it's morning meeting, where kids sign up to share something about themselves. Today, Renee Sutton also shares. I told you that I'm going to be gone for four weeks, right? Starting Saturday, I'm taking off. Sutton got family medical leave to help her daughter out of state recover from surgery. It was a hard decision to leave at the beginning of a school year, and two of her colleagues will be each taking half of her class of 13. But as Principal Amber Swiatkowski says, teaching is what Mrs. Sutton does. It's not who she is. Is it ideal? situation? No, it's not an ideal situation. But when it came to the decision of what do we do with Renee's class, her teammates stepped up, no questions asked, and said, what can we do to help? You can be leaders, right? We are Back in morning meetings, Sutton tells her students she wants them to be leaders in their new classrooms. Her class may be ahead of the other classes in some areas. Rowan agrees. Just cool. we're leaders right? in this classroom doesn't mean we can't be leaders in the other classrooms. Absolutely. We can show that we are leaders wherever we go, right? Maybe we understand Empower a little bit better, and maybe we can be those leaders to help. The she wants to know what the kids feel about her going. Most of the kids share that they're happy and sad, like Rowan. The reason I'm excited is because I get to maybe make some new friends in a different class, but I'm sad that you're going to be gone for a few weeks. Yeah. I like that you said you could maybe have an opportunity to make some new friends in that class. That's awesome. It's pretty normal to have different feelings. You can have the same situation, but have different feelings about it too, right? Mixed feelings. She tells them she knows they're going to be just fine. Kids pepper her with questions. Do they need to bring their chairs into their new classrooms? Why does her daughter need surgery? Will she take a nap on the plane ride? The meeting ends and they walk, pretending like they're sloths, back to their desks. They buckle down for some serious writing practice. Is that a complete sentence or is that a fragment? Leah? At lunchtime, munching on corn dogs and chicken wings, the kids open up a little bit more about Mrs. Sutton leaving. For the most part, they're pretty relaxed about it, but a bit nervous. Valentina worries. That I won't make new friends. And Leo. It made me sad because I was going to miss my classmates and uh, my teacher. And Monty. I don't know if I'm going to be, like, safe in the other classes. Because in all over the news, there's, like, there's a test positive. And then I'm like, what if there's a test positive in Miss Cornell's class? So that's what I'm afraid of. Justin has similar worries. He'll be going into the other classroom. I'm not familiar with other, like, classmates. The class I'm going in was quarantined, and I don't know if they, like, touched anything. I feel more scared. It's true. The class he's going into is coming back from two weeks in quarantine. I explained to him that means it's safe now, and they've deep cleaned the classroom. He's happy he'll know a boy in the class, but worries he won't have too many other friends. Rowan gives him great advice. I would say, I would say like, it's okay to feel scared, and you should just tell people your feelings to see if they can help you with anything that you're feeling scared about. The next day, the kids work hard on schoolwork, and around 3 o'clock, a visitor comes to the door. Some of you guys are going to come see me. One of the new teachers pays them a quick visit. 
That's good because we like have candy for breakfast every day. She's been known to joke around. What? Do you do you believe her? She takes half of room 132 into their new classroom. Actually, take your temperature before you come into the, the room. The kids troop back into Sutton's classroom. Is that teacher going to do things exactly the same way I do them? No. no, probably not. And right? she gives them a final goodbye. No hugs, just air high fives to say, "See you in four weeks." I'm Jenny Brendine, CPR News. Jenny is following teacher Renee Sutton and the third graders in room 132 at Josephine Hodgkins Leadership Academy in Westminster through the school year to see how they're faring in the face of COVID-19. You can find her ongoing reporting at CPR.org. A travel writer who can't travel. That's the reality for Topaz Hooper of Denver, who's also an entrepreneur and artist. But rather than letting the pandemic get the best of her, She's finding new ways to be creative. Traveling allows me to be anonymous. I love going somewhere and no one knows my name. There's no auntie that's coming out of the woodwork with, I remember when you were X, Y, and Z, and whatever I show the world, whatever I show that new person on the train or in the, in the new hotel or the new country, they just take me for what I am. So my name is Topaz Hooper. I am 27 years old. I'm a big traveler. And I love sharing um, my experiences with travel, especially to people who don't travel much or kind of aren't sure like what's, what's out there. And um, so I, I like to write um, about my travels as a Black traveler, but just as a traveler in general. I went to Russia in 2018 for the World Cup. And I remember meeting someone in, in my hotel that said, oh, okay, okay, how are you? You know, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from America. And he kind of looked up from his desk and was like, um, he kind of cleaned his glasses and he was like, excuse me, you're from Africa, right? I'm like, oh, America. And he's like, Nigeria. (laughs) America, South Africa, America. And he's like, America, this, this, this Russian, this, this concierge had never seen a black American. They had never met one. So for the first time, I was like, I'm an American, dude, you know, I, you know, and he didn't, he didn't believe me. And it was so interesting because I'd never been to a place where they didn't know black Americans existed. Like it it was such a rare, it was, I was so confusing and I loved it. I just loved that there was no preconceptions. No one knew who I was. No one expected anything of me. No one had um, prejudices or ideas. I was just a totally new individual person. And I think that's a kind of freedom that I was not afforded before I started traveling. Travel for for me is somewhat of an escape. So I I feel like I can run and go escape and jump on a plane and, you know, get out of town. And and this was the first time where I was like, wow, I really, I think I should kind of just like chill here. Like, like, what do I do? I've learned, the biggest lesson I've learned in quarantine and through all of COVID is the value of stillness. Just really being still because I started to realize that I was looking at myself and I was like, there's a lot here that I did not work on. So in quarantine, um, I picked up a lot more painting. I don't know why. I just, I just really wanted color. I I was like really craving color and um, change and creation. I, I mean, here's how it usually goes. Poetry is when 
I see something in the world or I, or I'm experiencing something and it's so painful and I just, I just can't hold it in. I, I just have to write it out and just let, just let it out with painting. It's like deeper longing. Like it's almost like if I'm longing for something that I can't have, I often like to paint um, women, black women as deities. Um, um, usually they're, they're copper skinned with wings in, in some kind of cloudy blue space. And I have different variations of that, of my painting. So I'm often painting black women or, or um, birds or winged, winged creatures. I still have dreams of 2021. Oh, I really want to paint a, a utopian world after COVID. I really want to paint fresh air. I want to paint clean water. I want to paint, you know, sort of things that I want to see happen. Topaz Hooper is a travel writer, entrepreneur, and artist from Denver. She's visited 18 countries in the past five years, but has had to put her travel plans on hold because of the pandemic. Enku Ashemu produced this story as part of NPR's Next Gen Radio project, which helps shape the next generation of public media. I'm Ryan Warner, and this is Colorado Matters from CPR News.